0: Just thinking it's always good to work together on something like VBS because you've become so much closer to the people that you work with I appreciate each and every one of them that we work so closely together on VBS But today we're going to be looking at a scripture from Ephesians chapter 1 or chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 it actually includes our key verse for vacation Bible school, which is the 10th verse and that's kind of what got me looking at preaching this because I thought it would be nice to kind of preach from he, from Ephesians chapter 2 and since it had to do with VBS and I got to looking and I realized I have never preached on this before which I thought was strange because I know that I have referred to it many 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 times but uh, today is the first time I believe that I've ever preached on this and it is a powerful powerful section of scripture. There's just so much for us to learn in this here today, but we're gonna be talking specifically about how we are saved by grace through faith for good works. And uh, it's such a good lesson for us here today. It's a good lesson because oddly enough and strangely enough, in the United States in particular, the gospel has been twisted into something that it's not. Primarily if you ask people on the street, what will it take for you to get into heaven? They will begin spouting off their good works All the good things that they have done and people have the impression that in order to get into heaven You have to be on the heavier side of the scale In other words, these are the good things you have done These are the bad things are that you've done as long as the good outweighs the bad then you're going to make it into heaven And sadly, this is a misconception that we must deal with in the church. We believe that salvation is through grace alone, amen, and through faith alone. And so that is what this section of scripture teaches, and it teaches it very well. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by a combination of faith and works. We are saved by faith alone, by the grace of God alone. And so if if that's all you were to get out of this sermon today and you just wrote that down on your sheet, you you would be doing good. You would take home exactly what I want you to understand. But to make it straight, the message today is that we are saved by God's grace through faith for good works. This is exactly what we talked about in Vacation Bible School. Verse 10 was our key verse. We are saved for good works. And that's a good thing for us. So let's go ahead and start by reading our scripture. I'm going to ask, please, that you stand as we read scripture. We're going to be reading, of course, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for this scripture. We thank you for the place it has played all down through the church age in helping us to understand grace and faith and the gift you have given to us and that you have created us for good works. You see, it's, it's not our works that makes the difference, but it's the work that you have done in us. We are your workmanship. You have created us as new beings in Christ Jesus. And we want you to receive the glory and the honor for that. And so help us to learn from this, help us to pray that we accept what it says and pray that It would change our lives so that we would become, in essence, trophies of yours, putting your grace on display for all to see. We ask that you be with us during the rest of our message. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you have ever prepared a lesson or ever prepared a sermon or something like that, this one's relatively easy as far as... Uh, Kind of a structure. Usually you kind of like to have an outline of your sermon to go by In case you forget what you're talking about you can go back to your outline and pick it up very quickly But this has a very simple outline and you can see that on your page that I gave you for you to take down some notes And so just real quickly going down through there We're going to talk about what it was like in our life before we came to know Christ secondly, we're going to talk about the miraculous way in which god intercede on our behalf by spiritually raising us from the dead and then third one we're going to see how we are god's workmanship so if you just uh keep that with you and write down some notes uh, that you want uh, that god is speaking to you about then um, that page will have been put to good use so Today's teaching, by the way, we are saved by God's grace through faith for good works and will that will bring glory to God. So let's talk a little bit about what our life was before we came to know Christ. This, of course, affects everyone. It affects all of us. None of us were born into the Christian kingdom, but we had to be reborn into that kingdom. But I want you to listen closely to this and, and try to really get what the Bible is trying to say here because I think so many people try to soften this. And uh, sorry about talking about sin so much, (laughs) but sin has had a disastrous effect in our world and on our lives personally. And it goes to the very words that Paul is saying to us here that our life before experience God's grace was very ugly. It really was very ugly. The scripture says, and it says in our verse that we just read, that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. Let me say that again. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We're dead in our sins, which means that spiritually, our spiritual con- condition is that of deadness. Now, it's not talking about our physical body, obviously. Our physical bodies still function. But before we come to know Christ, we are spiritually dead. In other words, we have no way to relate to God spiritually because we are dead. Listen to this, we are not unconscious. We are not asleep. We are not sick in need of a hospital. We are dead. Can I make that any clearer? We are dead. We are unresponsive. We cannot hear the gospel. We can hear the words of the gospel. Before we come to Christ, we cannot actually hear and understand the gospel. We cannot see spiritual truth. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. This is our spiritual condition before we come to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's folly to those who are perishing because they're dead. Okay, They're, they're dead. We were dead. I don't know if you guys remember a movie called six, six cents. Remember that movie? It's probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years old now, I guess I have no idea. But the idea about this story is that there was a young boy who could see dead people. They would appear to him just like anyone else. He said the problem is he was telling this to his counselor who was also dead, but he didn't know it. He says, They're dead, but they don't know they're dead. And that's exactly how we were before we became Christians. People would say, you say I'm dead, you're you're crazy. I am not dead, but we're talking spiritually, right? There's no connection between God and someone who is not saved. They are spiritually dead. We are like Lazarus dead, right? The picture of Lazarus in John chapter 11 is more than just a story of Jesus who goes and brings his his uh, friend back from the dead, but it's a story about how spiritually we are dead and we must be called out by God in order to live. Remember what Jesus did to Lazarus? Was he Was Lazarus dead, by the way? Yeah, he was dead. He was dead, he was put into a tomb, he was embalmed, had the spices all put onto him, he was wrapped up. He been in the tomb for how long four days he was dead because they said Lord you can't go into there now because the smell is going to keep you away you're gonna want to turn back and come the other way but you remember I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but do you remember what happened when Jesus got there he said Lazarus come out and he came out he was spiritual. he was physically dead we are spiritually dead. We need that same calling on a spiritual level. We, are, we were way beyond CPR. You know, CPR does not help with a dead person or any other life-saving means. We are not treading water hoping for someone to throw us a life preserver. We are dead and we're at the bottom of the lake. We need someone to raise us from the dead, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. We are at the bottom of the lake. Jesus is not a life preserver. He is a life raiser. He is a life resurrectionist, however you want to put it, but we have a problem, and he is the remedy for it. The remedy, the problem that we have is that we have a heart of stone before we come to know Christ. This is clearly illustrated in the book of Ezekiel, that our heart and the heart of the people of Israel then was like stone. It's not, it's not, it's not easily uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. Our heart, which was designed to relate to God, is as cold and dead as stone before we come to know Christ. We need a change of heart. But we cannot do it because we're dead. We can't do it, right? We cannot change our heart. We cannot change our mind about Christ. We are dead. Because we are spiritually dead, listen to these things that the scripture talks about that that was true of us. We followed the world we follow the world the world is not going in a very good direction right now right we do not want to follow the world uh i guess we're all kind of sort of the same age a little bit of difference in in ages in here but we're all grown-ups we're all adults we all remember 20 years ago 30 years ago we know the changes that our nation has gone through the world in fact has gone through as far as morality and promiscuity and uh, homosexuality and even adultery is on the increase even among christian families adultery is on the increase we know that the world is going in a direction that christ did not go in we're asked to follow jesus christ but as spiritually dead people we followed the way of the world into more and more uncleanness and it's like the verse in Judges every so often this verse is repeated and it's actually the very last verse of the Bible of Judges as well it says in those days there was no king in Israel every man did what what was right in his own eyes that's where we're at in our culture right it doesn't make any difference what the scripture says to most people it doesn't make any difference uh, to what the Bible says or what Jesus has said they're going to do their own thing they're going to do whatever makes them happy because they are dead they have a heart of stone they may hear the gospel on a television program but they don't understand it it goes over their head it's too simple it seems like to them it doesn't make sense Also, because we are spiritually dead, we follow the prince of the power of the air. Did you know that before you were saved that your father was not God, that your father was Satan? This is what the Bible clearly says, not only here, but also uh, Jesus says that to to the Pharisees, that their father was Satan. That is the one whom we were following. We were not following God, We were not following Jesus, we were following Satan. We fit right in with the sons of disobedience in our prior life. This is true of all of us prior to knowing Christ. You may say, well, I was a pretty good person, but uh, good, even Jesus himself was called good teacher and he said, no one is good but God. We have an elevated sense of what it is to be good and we leave God out of the equation. There's no good unless you acknowledge God. That's the beginning of goodness. We lived according in this spiritually dead state. We lived according to the passions of our flesh. In other words, whatever this body and the flesh says that we should do, that is exactly what we did. There was no self-discipline. There was nothing like that. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. And then we were nature, by nature, we were by nature because of our death, children of wrath, just like all of mankind. All of us at one time were headed to a punishment by fire. And it's as though we have been snatched out of the fire. Amen? Amen. We have been snatched out of the fire. Psalm 14.3 says this about this all and this inclusiveness of everyone being in this position at one time. It says, they have all turned aside together. They have all become corrupt. There is none which does good, not even one. Folks, this is serious business, and I can tell by your quietness, this is serious, that you're paying attention. The reason, one reason that we talk about sin so much is because it had such a has such a devastating control over us that to be delivered from that is the most glorious of things, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that a diamond is best presented on a black background so that it sparkles? And so what we're doing by talking about sin is shining a light upon the gospel in such a way that we see how much it is truly worth and how glorious it really is to be saved by god Amen. so we get to verse 4 and there are those two words that separate this section of scripture we've been talking about what it is to be spiritual Spiritually dead and then verse 4 starts out, but God God interceded didn't he? God interceded God took took action to Spiritually raise us from the dead He had to do that because we could not do that alone In the scripture following scriptures verses 4 5 and 6 it talks about how God is rich in mercy toward us. Amen I get amen to that? God is merciful to us. He could have thrown us into hell at any moment in time and would have been justified in doing that because we were spiritually dead. We were following the course of this world. We were following another God. We were following Satan. He could have at any time cast us into hell and yet he waited. He was patient. He was merciful toward us. Not only is God merciful toward us, but God is loving toward us. The verse here says that it is a great love, a great love which he has for us. Because of the great love which he has for us, he saved us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do Do you see the... the uh, initiative that God took. Even before we would ever make a move toward him, he made the move toward us to save us. He made us alive in Christ. Amen. He made us alive in Christ. Read verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. Yes, amen. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He made us alive in Christ. Another way of saying is this is that we had to be born again. He made us alive in Christ is the same thing as being born again. We were given a new heart. The heart of stone was taken out and the heart of flesh was put back in so that we can now relate to God. This is clearly prophesied in the book of Ezekiel, both for the nation of Israel, but also I believe for us as well. Just listen to this. I know this is a little bit of reading, but listen to this and see if you don't find a parallel with what we're talking about. Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and, set, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, it was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with your skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now I hope you can see the parallel between what we've been talking about, being spiritually dead. There's nothing more dead than dry bones laid out in a valley, right? And yet God is able to breathe life into those bones and he is able to breathe life into us as well so that we can spiritually be raised from the dead, that we can be born again. One more time from Ezekiel. Bear with me. It's not quite as long. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is a miracle maker, right? He takes dead bodies and brings them to life. He does it so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, Jesus, in, in Christ Jesus. He does this all because he wants to show his kindness to us for generations and eons and eons into the future. Imagine that. He loves us, doesn't he? Amen. He wants us to be with him. So how does he do this? How does he do this? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I believe, have the answer. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This verse makes it clear that we are saved by God's grace. You might have a little bit of understanding hard time understanding God's grace and that's understandable because it is we do sing the song it's amazing right and so it's beyond our comprehensions in some sense but God's grace is him showering upon us favor when we do not deserve it sometimes we use it the acronym acronym God's riches at Christ's expense is a good way to put that as well it is God giving us something that we do not deserve. And in fact, we often deserve the opposite. And that's exactly what God's grace is. In a situation where there is a fire, I use this illustration one time, see if it makes sense to you. The firefighters are called to a multi-story building. There are people on the fourth, fifth floor who are going to be engulfed by the flames if someone doesn't come and save them. So the fire department comes and saves them. They don't have a ladder truck, so they have a net. You've seen the situation before, right? Where someone jumps into the net in order to be saved. Grace is that net. Grace is that net that catches us. Faith is the jumping, right? You have to jump. Yes. You have to jump. You have to trust in the net that is going to protect you and save you. And that's a pretty good description of what God's grace is and how faith and how they both work together. Now, the scripture here says that this is a gift of God. And people ask the question, well, what is the gift of God? Is it the grace or is it the faith? It's both. <laughs> grace itself in the Hebrew, in the in the Greek actually comes from the word meaning gift, charis. It means gift. And it's talking about this whole verse. God's grace is a gift. It includes the gift of saving faith it comes from God. Then we actuate it by, by using that faith so that we can land up in the net of God's grace. It's not a result of works, right? It's not a result of our work. The verse makes very clear that it's not because of our works, because we must not be able to boast in our salvation. Yeah. So I went to evangelism school one time and. They always had a couple of questions that we were supposed to act, ask the person they were going to be talking about, talking to. And one of the questions was, uh, you're standing at the door of heaven, why should God let you in? What would your answer be? Would it be, will I attend the church? Um, I gave to the church. Um, I helped with VBS. Uh, I was nice to my kids and my family. I was a good father. I was a good mother. Would that, would that let you into, get you into heaven? Or would you say, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we can have entrance into the kingdom of God. It's not through our own works. We are created... In Christ Jesus for good works that we might glorify and boast in him right that's that's the way it works we do not work for our salvation he works to bring us to salvation so that we can glorify him through the good works that we do and that's the essence of this work we are his workmanship that's exactly what Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Talk about mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, that last word, verse, I read over it so quickly, but it says that God prepared beforehand these works that we should walk in them. That's how awesome God is. From eternity past, he created works and we are to walk in them so that we might bring glory and honor to him. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. We have nothing to boast about. We boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. God has prepared from eternity past that we as Christians are to live as Christ and to follow in his good works. In other words, we are supposed to be doing the same things that he did. We are supposed to be ministering to the poor. We are to be sharing the gospel with as many people as we can. We are to walk in them. These aren't just activities that we do on occasion, but we are to walk in them. Good works done for the glory of Christ are our new way of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had looking over these verses and what an impact they could have on our lives. It's my prayer that this day that we would go home and look over these verses again and ask ourselves the question, how does this affect my life right now? Do I need to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior? Do I need to Do I need to be joyful about what Christ has done for me? And do I need to learn afresh what it means to walk in the works that you have prepared for me? I pray that we would do that this afternoon to look back over these verses and then ask those questions. I pray if there's one here today who does not know Christ, that they would understand that they cannot be saved of their own good works, but it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the net that he has provided for us, the refuge that he has provided for us, and that they would place their full faith and trust in Christ. For those of us that are Christians here today, help us to be mo- motivated by these, to live the life that you've called us to live, Not a life of drudgery, but a life full of joy, knowing that God has loved us so much that he's made this free gift available to us. Father, we love you. We go to you now in prayer and song, bringing honor to you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.